Father, we just thank you for joining us together. We thank you for knitting our hearts together. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for encouragement from the word today. We turn our hearts to you. We welcome you to light up our world, our inner man, with your word. We welcome in theosism. Let, let the, th- the, the heart of God be ignited within us today as we've come to meet with you. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is not the sermon. I have a pre-sermon before the sermon, but this, this weekend is Rosh Hashanah. And what that is, if you're not aware of that, it's the head of the Jewish year. Now, we might think of it as Gentiles or Gentile converts. We might think of it as the first of the year. Wouldn't this be the new year? Uh, But it's specifically called the head of the year because uh, within Rosh Hashanah, within the, the holy, consecrated understanding of the beginning of the Jewish year is the fulfillment or the typology for the rest of the year. Isn't that cool? So whatever we're understanding about this weekend, which started Friday evening and then runs through Sunday evening, so the 18th through the 20th, whatever's happening In this weekend, and whatever happening with Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year is actually going to implicate great things throughout the remaining of the year. So you want to hear what that is? So this is the beginning of 5781 in the Hebrew calendar. You want to hear some cool things? I didn't know this. So Joel and I were, you know, learning all this stuff, coming into the weekend. This year, 81, means what it means. uh, It means that this is going to be a year of signs and wonders. No, 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 no. I'm not announcing something that the latest, greatest televangelist on TBN said last night. I'm telling you what the meaning of the Hebrew is, and what non-Yeshua Hebrew rabbis, non-Yeshua followers are saying that this year represents. This year represents a year of signs and wonders. 81 means signs and wonders. It means, and actually it goes beyond that, The rabbi said it actually goes beyond that. It actually means signs and wonders that pale the signs and wonders of Egypt, coming out of Egypt. How many of you think that'd be okay? Then he said, then he said, the 81 also means anger. The words actually spell out anger. And he says it's not common anger, but it's divine anger divine anger, that God will show himself with divine anger, but not divine anger to devour, but divine anger to bring forth holiness. 
divine anger to bring forth holiness, and he invites us to partner with him this year because this is the mitochondria of the entire year. He invites us to partner with him throughout this year in a divine anger that brings forth not only internal but cultural holiness. Is that okay? Is that cool? I think we got to stand again. Yeah, no, there's one more thing. Listen, listen. Rosh Hashanah doesn't always fall on Shabbat. It doesn't always fall on the Sabbath weekend. Depending on what the calendar's doing, see? And so he says there's another element. There's a third element. Because Rosh Hashanah has fallen on Shabbat, then the two are blended together in theology. They impact, influence, and wash over one another. And so he says, because of that, you have to, you have to look at what Shabbat means. Shabbat is the holy day. Shabbat is the highest of every day. Shabbat is the day of blessing. Shabbat is the day of pleasure. Shabbat is the day of rest. So he said that because these two are commingled, Rosh Hashanah is commingled with Shabbat, then that means that this whole year will be a highest of years, a set-apart year, a year of blessing, a year of rest, a year of pleasure, a year like no other. A year like no other. You ready for that? Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. We welcome you right now. We say yes, yes to all that you're ordaining in 5781. We open our hearts, our minds, our mouths to cooperate, to agree, to flow with you and to allow you to be turned loose in our lives. We bless you for it. We bless you for it. Come on, just lift up your voice right now and just receive, 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 receive. Not just a new year, not just the start of a year, but the head of a year, the mitochondria of a great outpouring of God in this year. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, I suppose I could have spoke on that, but that wasn't the sermon today. But we couldn't let that go and not say something about this, this great, because you know what? The rabbis, the numerology, the year itself, the understanding of the alphabet, everything about this is declaring what the prophetic word has been saying to the church. So let it be a great confirmation, amen? Let it be a great confirmation. I want to talk to you today about the victorious church again, and uh, maybe we'll get to where I was going to go. Uh, I got all wound up last time that I didn't get to where we wanted to go, and I want to talk about the ecclesia and open up our hearts and minds a little bit about the ecclesia. Is that all right? 
Fact is, how do we get to where, how do we get to where Matthew 6 is fulfilled? And I hope that today this brings us a little bit more understanding. Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says in instructing the disciples on how to pray that this is actually the will of Father. He's actually showing us the will of Father is that as it is in heaven, so it would also be on the earth. Amen? Now, we can, we can extrapolate some stuff out of that. We can extrapolate there's no theft in heaven. We can extrapolate there's no pain in heaven. We can extrapolate that there's no sorrow in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. There's no fighting in heaven. There's no murder in heaven. There's no violence in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. How many of you know, we can, so we can, we can understand that we have permission to pray, to believe, to trust, to declare, because this is God's will that the earth be leavened with heaven that the earth be washed with heaven, that the earth be transformed with heaven, that what's happening in heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, Father wants that atmosphere fully manifested, fully matured, and brought forth in the earth. And he's more excited according to these prayers than according to many of the scriptures that we study. He's more excited about getting heaven to you than he is at this moment about getting you to heaven. Though precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints, he's not ready for you to go home yet. He's placed you in your generation on purpose. How many of you believe that? Come on, say it with me. I'm in my generation on purpose. I'm not an accident. God saw me coming and wrapped purpose around me and wrapped me up in purpose to be shot into my generation. I believe that, and I receive that. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we pray in that way? How do we bring that about? How do we bring that forth? How do we bring that forth? You know, one thing we've talked about in John 15, and we won't go there because this would be moving us off of the sermon quite well, but in John 15, 7 and 8, one thing that we've done is we've taken words like pray, like ask, various words, and we've usually translated them or we've translated our understanding of them as petition. So most of the time when we think of pray, we think of petition. As it says in John 15, 7 and 8, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything in my name and it will be done for you, right? So there the translators use the word ask. So everything, everything from a religious perspective and in much of our translations, it looks like petition. 
but something we pointed out here over the years that's been helpful to us to see is that the word ask is only one of the options for the word in John 15, 7 and 8. Other valid options for that Greek word are require, decree, command. Require, decree, command. So we have to, one thing that we're thinking about, and, and we alluded to it uh, two weeks ago when I was up here and had an opportunity, is out of Ephesians 1, that we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So as we pray, there's this aspect, there's this element of approaching Father, there's this element of coming near and listening and petitioning and inquiring, but there's also an element of praying from heaven. That is, whenever the Holy Spirit reveals knowledge and understanding to us, whenever we understand his will, then we move from a position of just earth into a position of heaven, and now we can operate from heaven. So as we operate from heaven, we're not just now focused with petition, but we are able to decree, we're able to declare, we're able to command. And all of this is talking about the authority of the believer, and that's where we want to go this morning thinking about this word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ecclesia is in the New Testament 115 times, and something like 112 ecclesia has been translated in our Bibles as church, which you would be surprised to know that church is actually not even the transliteration of the original Greek word. That the original Greek word that now you have as church, ecclesia, actually comes from two words, and that two words mean to call and to be called out. And to be called out. They don't come from the word church at all. Church is a totally different word that the translators have substituted in there, and the other of the 115 times, they've translated it assembly, and congregation or gathering. So the majority of the use of this word church, and we'll look at a few of those this morning, actually the word is ekklesia in the Greek. And what I want you to see, and we'll go here and read a couple of verses about church. Uh, I want to do that with you because I want to get us to our main text and so we're going to go over to Matthew 16, 15, and I'm going to read it out of a couple different translations this morning, and one will be the Passion Translation. And I want to relate all of this to all of the crazy stories that we told you two weeks ago. Fact is, while I was telling you the stories two weeks ago, we were actually in the middle of another Ecclesia miracle. Caleb was watching online, and Caleb's like, Dad, your sermon is actually, we're actually walking in your sermon right now. So, you know, long story short, kind of a big 
interesting story. Uh, but we needed a giant breakthrough uh, in a real estate transaction uh, of which Caleb and I owned jointly. And uh, we were being stolen from. And you'll just have to trust me. Details we don't have time for today. Uh, but we were being stolen from. And if the theft continued, uh, it would have it would have killed the sale that Caleb and I were under contract in. So we were selling something, making the story as simple as I can. We were selling something, and we were probably, I don't know, we were past closing. Closing had been extended three times already, and we did not have a solution, but the solution, uh, but the sale was being killed by theft. And uh, so coming into that week, uh, I started and I told Caleb, let's just start binding the enemy right now. And so we started praying and we started binding the enemy. We started binding theft. We started using our mouth to decree that our property would be loosed from this situation where we had Somebody in one of the homes who didn't want to leave. And um, so we just, yeah, you know, we didn't have to pray for the, over the person even, right? We actually, we remained gracious to the person all the way to the end, overly gracious. So gracious, it would blow your mind how gracious we were. But what was working was a demonic influence. And I, I told you two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I totally believe that carnality and the demonic realm are intertwined. So by the fruit, you will know there's a root. Coming into that weekend where uh, I, was, I was preaching here and we were actually in the midst of a miracle. And Monday the person consented to move out of that house and um, Caleb went down and helped them move and we closed on that house that week. Amen. Complete miracle. Complete miracle. Complete miracle. I told you about our jet skis coming back. We demanded that they come back for summer camp. They came back on the day that summer camp started. Story after story after story we've experienced because we asserted the authority that we have as believers over darkness. This is why I'm so hopeful about the future of the church, the future of America, the future of the world, because God is turning things around. God is shifting his body. God is maturing us in authority. God is showing us who we are. God is raising up an ecclesia. And it's not just motorcycles that are supposed to come back, jet skis supposed to come back, houses that are supposed to sell. It's not just personal items that are supposed to be the transactions. It's communities shifting. It's laws changing. 
It's governments changing. It's Hollywood changing. It's education changing. It's schools changing. It's media changing. Every single sphere of culture and society. But if you don't start exercising your authority in a microcosm, then you may never begin to exercise your authority in the macrocosm. You have to start where it pertains to you. The enemy might even say, that's real selfish of you, getting your motorcycle back. What a low-life, selfish rat you are. Smile, kick him, and then just go forward, knowing that you are tasting of victories and tasting of authority that if you will combine that and here, here, I mean, oh my word, oh my word, there's just so much to say. If you'll combine this, because Matthew 16, 15, and we're going to read that, is actually reiterated again in Matthew 18. And he takes the principle he teaches them in Matthew 16. He moves that same principle into Matthew 18. But here he says, look, 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 look. Here's the power of, of the ecclesia, that if any two or three of you agree touching a thing, it will be. Whatever the two or three of you bind, it shall be bound. Here's the power of the corporate ecclesia, that when we come together concerning, see, I didn't need you to get my motorcycle back, my jet skis back, and all of the things we've gotten back. I didn't need you but I need you to move the mountains of culture with me. I need the ecclesia. I need the counsel of the body of Christ to come together so that as we come into agreement, we have legislative power in the spirit realm to shift and change those things that are ungodly, those things wherein hell is coming to earth instead of heaven. And I'm telling you, this is, this is the power of corporate prayer and por corporate prayer expressions. Uh, 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 this, this is the power, uh, this, this is what we want to do with this sword and glory, these sword and glory nights. We're coming, we, we, you know, we're in the, as Lou Engle says, we're in the hinge of history fasting period right now. I mean, God is just shifting stuff. I mean, we're going to see amazing things, but, but, but we're going to cooperate with him in the midst of it, right? And, and so this is part of it is that, we come as those who are authorized delegates of the king. We come as those who our, our voice is important. We are, we are the voice that he has. He doesn't have another voice but ours. So we come together, and this is why uh, the enemy, oh, he hates prayer meetings. He hates joint agreement. He hates corporate expressions. He hates for you to get out to that meeting. And, 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 and don't let, don't let yourself think for a minute that, oh, I don't need to go and others are going to be there and I don't have time for that. And, oh, that's stupid. And that's just another prayer meeting. Oh, no, no, no. When you get here, raise your voice. When you get here, join in. When you get here, even your amen, even your amen is important. Remember the Acts 4.31, the shift that happened when they all lifted up their voice in one accord. They all lifted up their voice in one accord. 
This is why when you're leading a prayer, when you're leading a prayer, I, 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 I always like it if you're louder. I always like it if the prayer, the person who's got the microphone or who doesn't have the microphone in the midst of that prayer circle, be a little bit louder. Why do I want you to be a little bit louder? So I can easily hear you. I can easily agree. Fact is, five of us can agree and it doesn't drown you out because you've raised your voice a little bit. Why? Because you're leading us. You're leading the charge. You're leading the ecclesia, the legislative body of Christ. You're leading us into dominion into taking ground, into moving territory. You're leading us into activating the glory of heaven on earth. Don't be quiet. Don't be quiet. Don't be quiet. Church is not to be quiet. Prayers are not to be quiet. Corporate gatherings are not to be quiet. The enemy wants you to be quiet. Why? Because if he can minimize, eliminate, squash, or quench your voice, he has diminished the ecclesia. He has diminished the ecclesia. What's the ecclesia? The ecclesia is not just the called out congregation, churchy people. You know where the word came from? The word came from culture. When Jesus used the word, and I love this, I love that he used the word. It's mind-blowing that he used the word, ecclesia, because he didn't say, I'm going to build my synagogue. He didn't say, I'm going to build my church service. He didn't say, I'm going to build my Sunday school. He didn't say, I'm going to build my Bible study. No, 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 no. Let's go, let's go to the verse, and then let's go to where it came from. Let's go to the verse, Matthew 16, 15. You still here? You Okay. He said to them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the coronated one, the king, the Messiah, the supreme one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of revelation, the revelation that now, Peter, you're receiving, I will build my church. Again, don't think congregation. He didn't say, I'm going to build my congregation. He didn't say, I'm going to build my synagogue. He could have easily said that, by the way. That would have been the most sensible thing for him to say because they all knew the synagogue. They all fellowshiped at the synagogue. They all came from the temple courts. They would go and they would evangelize for years in every synagogue, in every city, at those temple courts. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, meaning of heaven on earth. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples they should tell no one he was the Christ. Now, I want to jump down to the Passion Translation because Brian has done a great job here because he's studied the scripture and he's studied the etymology of the word. Here's what he says in the Passion Translation. I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Ecclesia. It actually means legislative assembly. Now, why were they the called out ones? Well, this all started, history tells us, under Homer. This all started in Athens. This all started as far back as 621 BC. We find ecclesia. It's not a Bible word. It's not a scriptural word. It's, it didn't begin with the New Testament. It began with Greece. It began with Athens. And then it was brought into the Roman culture and the Roman kingdom. And it was adult men who were called out, who would be then connected to the emperor or the king, and they would have the privilege of not only expressing, not only setting with, understanding, hearing, but they would have the privilege of walking out and meeting out orders, decrees, those things that pertain to like a democratic society. This was the first of that which would have a parallel to a democratic society. Ecclesia. They would gather at the Agora, by the way. The Agora would be the central place of the city. This is where they would gather. They were called out. They would meet on a regular basis, originally one time per month, but under Roman rule up to four times a month. They would discuss. They would vote upon new law and proposals. They would come up with military strategy, and they would elect magistrates. Every Roman city had an ecclesia. They were to work in conjunction with the emperor to see that his will and his desires were being implemented across the kingdom. They functioned as the legal ruling assembly of a city, meeting 40 to 50 times a year. They were regularly summoned to, activate, to actively participate in legislation, declare war, make peace, negotiate treaties, make alliances, and elect officials. Think about this now in terms of the church. Have we, have we settled for something that is way below who we really are? In the face of them asking, who do you say I am? Here he's asking, who do you say that I am? They identify that he is the Christ, that he's the anointed, that he is the king, that he's worthy of coronation, that he's the set-apart one, and his response is, and I will, and I will build my ecclesia, my legislative body. Are we legislating anything? Are we legislating anything? Most churches have not legislated a thing. Are we even involved in the body politic? Do we even 
see that it's our place? Why in the world does Isaiah 9 say, and the government shall be upon his shoulders? Why does Romans 13 say that are they not ministers of God? To bring forth good from him and to punish evil? Why is it that even in Ephesians 4, where the word says, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, that they have been given to us to equip the saints for the work of ministry, why is it that we subconsciously think that all of that ministry implies something within these four walls? Why is it that when we hear that Christ, his kingdom is not of this world, we assume it's not in this world either? But then we change our mind when somebody tells us about the millennium. Somehow, suddenly, under the millennium reign, his kingdom can be in the world. So when he comes back and splits Mount Olives with his feet, then he can have a kingdom in the world. But right now, he's to have no influence in the world. Yeah, there's churches, there are people in this local region who won't even vote this season because they're convinced that they're not to be involved in government or politics. So they won't even vote. They'll pray. But I'm wagering it'll be petitionary prayers, not legislative prayers. And this is part of the shift that God needs to activate that the original mandate in Genesis 1.28, he never changed his mind on it. He gave us dominion over the earth. He gave us dominion over the earth. He gave us dominion over the earth. And he said, rule. Jesus did not raise up a mamby-pamby, hide-in-the-corner crowd. In Acts chapter 17, when they complained about the disciples, in Acts chapter 17, Their complaint was those who have turned the world upside down have come here also, those who say there is no king but Jesus. We have to be awakened that we have a king. And not only do we put shoe leather to what we believe, But we begin to pray, we begin to say, we begin to decree, we begin to command from heaven a shift as a legislative body, as a body politic, as a people called of God. We are not just a meek gathering of little Sunday school folks who come in and we just, we just, you know, we're just, just, well, we're just... The people who were getting born again in the early church, they were being brought into a militant movement 
of Jesus the King, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If he's the Lord of Lords, that means he's the Lord of Lords. That, that itself implies that he has something to say about every facet of society and culture and he has a partnership with the ecclesia to bring it to pass. His, par- his primary partnership is with the ecclesia. This is why we can't forsake government. We can't forsake our schools. We can't forsake media. We can't forsake arts and entertainment. We cannot forsake, we cannot forsake any realm of culture. What in the world did Deuteronomy 28 mean? You're the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Most Christians only recite that with a, as a platitude. They're not investing themselves in culture. They're running. They read way too many rapture books. You ready for this? Are you ready for this? God's going to raise up an ecclesia. I want to be part of it. Oh, not just a calm, quiet, rollover, meek little, timid little, hide in the corner people. He's raising up a lion revival, a lion people, the lion of the tribe of Judah the lion of the tribe of Judah, a people who know who they are and a people who legislate with decree, a people who come together, a people who will not let their nation, will not let their church, will not let, will not let it go down, will not let it go down. Stop saying there's nothing I can do about it. Stop saying there's nothing I can do about it. There's plenty you can do about it. Stop saying all I can do is pray. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All you can do is pray? That's the greatest thing you can start to do right before you follow your prayers. You're going to follow your prayers with shoe leather, but right Before you follow your prayers with shoe leather, the greatest thing you can do is pray. Oh, but it's not always ask. It's not always petition. It's not grovel. It's not whine. It's not roll around on the floor like you aren't something. It's not like thinking you aren't called out. You have been called out to be the legislative governing head. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're a set-apart people. You're a set-apart people. And he's depending on you to rise up. He's depending on you to say yes. He's depending on you to intentionally carve out time in every day to come into agreement with what he's doing. 
intentionally. Don't leave it to chance. Don't leave our nation to chance. Don't leave the state of the church to chance. Intentionally. Say, I'm going to be a part of this. And get on, get on phone calls and get to these small groups. These small groups are gathering. Get to prayer meetings. These are gatherings where two or three, where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst. Who is he? Who is he? Oh, he's, he's the, the forgiver. He's the forgiver. Well, that's good. Who else is he? Well, he's, he's the healer. Oh, that's good. How about the boss? Have you thought about that? There is the boss in your midst. There is the Lord. There is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in your midst. And guess what? You're going to hear from heaven. You're going to hear from heaven. You're going to hear his word. You're going to hear his decrees. You're going to hear what he's loosing. You're going to hear what he's saying. You're going to hear what needs to be done. You're going to hear what's going to be transpiring.